0: And our passage for today is Nehemiah chapter 8. What a watershed of a passage. You know the story. Ezra has gone back and he has set about to set in order a discipline for getting the people back to God. And that always involves Torah. That always involves the scriptures. That always involves the word of God. Because you see, there will be no lasting change in your life or mine until the word of God saturates our heart. It will be hit and miss. It will be up and down, round and round. But there will not be linear, consistent change in our lives until we consume the Word of God and the Word of God consumes us. This is what happened in Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra had established, the best he could, a network for studying the Scriptures. He had been training. He was the chief scribe. He was a sopher, the head of the sopherim, those who were the writers, uh, the scribes, and the scribes were the ones that really understood how the passages came together. And so they had a great responsibility. It wasn't just that they copied the Word of God, they meticulously copied it. And Ezra then turned around and taught it because we saw in the book of Ezra where he set his heart to not only know the Word of God, but to teach the word of God to the people. And so we come to Nehemiah chapter eight, the walls are built. The opposition has already shown itself for what it is. So God has given great victory, but just because the organization has gotten better and just because the walls were being built, just because there weren't as many physical vulnerabilities, both Ezra and, And Nehemiah, who followed him 14 years later, understood that without the bulwark of the word of God, there was not going to be sustained growth, freedom, and everything prosperity that comes with a people who are free in their heart and who are serving God. Ezra knew that you can't pass enough laws. You can't mandate enough laws to change people's hearts. This is why America is building prisons as fast as they can. New justice centers are going up everywhere. And that's just another word or phrase that sounds good justice center. But what it is, it's a place where you try criminals, hold criminals, then many times release criminals when they don't need to be released. But all of this is to say that the reason we're having to build more and more prisons is because there is no moral restraint in the people's hearts of America anymore because we have loose from the moorings of the Word of God. And when people do not have moral restraint, then people think they can pass laws. Legislators think they can pass laws to keep people from doing things. But you see, only God and God's Spirit and God's Word that lives within a person's heart will cause them to be good when they don't have to be. It'll cause them to do the right thing, even when there is no fear of getting caught. And so this is where we are in our culture today. And so the remedy for what's going on in our culture is found right here in Nehemiah chapter 8. So I want to read it to you. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the cities. And they were back in their cities. Now all the people gathered that by the way is the last half of verse 73 of Nehemiah chapter 7 as you recall it I continually remind you there were no original chapter and verse divisions in the Tanakh nor in the New Testament either not the Old Testament the New Testament those were put in just several hundred years ago and so here's an example of when you there is just an obvious break here at the end of what we call verse 73 of chapter 7 and it picks up when the seventh month came this is when the verse actually begins the new The new paragraph, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And I don't have time to go into the water gate because I want to get into other things. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the Torah. That's literally what it says to bring the book of the law of Moses, to bring the Torah, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest, look at this Ezra the priest. Brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding. Now, that's a very important phrase. I'm going to spend a couple of podcasts just on chapter eight and chapter nine here because they are very important and especially chapter eight. Chapter 9 is just the result of the Word of God getting in people's lives. And so he says that this Torah scroll was brought before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding. Well, who besides men and women can understand? The children. You see, in order to understand this passage, you have to understand the historical context. Not look at this from an American Western viewpoint and a European Western viewpoint where we separate everybody from worship. The Bible says twice in these verses that it was the men and women and all who could hear and understand, that is here, Shma. With a mind to obey. So they had to have sense enough to understand what was being said so they could obey it. It's not just enough to hear the Word of God. We must obey the Word of God. This is why James, the Lord's half-brother, said, Don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers also. Because if you hear and you don't obey, it does you no good. As a matter of fact, it adds more accountability to what you're not doing. It says, that, Then he read from it, from the open square that was in front of the water gate, from morning to midday. Can you imagine From early in the morning until midday, he read the word of God. They were hungry for it. And look at it again, what it says, the second time, before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the Torah, to the book of God and the book of Moses, as it's called. So what is this saying of the men and women and those who could understand, hear, Shema, same things in Deuteronomy chapter 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. Hear doesn't mean just hear, it means to hear and obey. But now listen to this. It was the men and women, that's obvious, but those children were there, not crib babies, not, not what we would call preschoolers, but those who could know their right hand from the left, those who could hear and understand. Now, that tells me two things. First of all, those that could hear and those who could understand needed to be with their moms and dads. They need to be there with their parents. Now, we don't like to hear that. I'm going to come back with another podcast with that in tomorrow's podcast so that you can really bear down with me on a practice that we need to get back to if we're going to see our nation turn back to God. And our church is turned back to God. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform. That's the word pulpit in the King James. You see, we talk about a pulpit as the desk or the podium that someone stands beside. That's not the pulpit. The pulpit is the bema. The word in Greek is bema. That's a raised platform that someone stands on. We call it a stage. But the sacred desk, quote, end quote, that we talk about, that's a podium. If it's sacred, it's only sacred because the Word of God is proclaimed from it and sits upon it or would be placed upon it. And there's nothing sacred about a podium unless that podium has something that is done behind it or in front of it that's sacred. But the platform of wood is the pulpit of wood. That's a bema, And they made it just for that purpose. Then it lays out all of these people who were there, and the scripture says, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and they were so reverent. He didn't say, all rise in honor of the reading of the word of God. No, when he opened the scroll, they just stood up automatically. Why? Because the book of God was being opened. And it says, and when he opened it, and all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, he did this with people standing at attention. Then all the people answered, amen, amen. In other words, he stood up and he blessed the Lord. He blessed the Lord. He didn't ask for a blessing. He blessed the Lord. And all the people said, amen, amen. And they lifted up their hands, weren't a bit ashamed. They lifted up their hands. You see, there is a time for lifting up of hands. It's not all the time. Well, that's crazy. But there is a time to lift our palms toward God and bless God. There's a time to turn our palms toward us and receive from God. But that's the lifting up of hands. When I was growing up and I went to church from time to time, why, in the church that I went to in the little town I grew up in, why, if you were to raise your hands and said amen, you would have been labeled a charismaniac, a charismatic, something that had grace in it. They didn't even know what it meant, I can assure you that for the most part, but it was such a knee-jerk reaction against any kind of extremity that someone, they had seen someone do, that to raise your hand would label you as, as a fanatic. This is how silly we are. And the same things are going on today. And to shout amen and amen again. You see, shouting is not screaming. Shouting is saying something with meaning. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's shouting. That's what you shout. Not woo. Not that kind of thing. That's not biblical shouting. Biblical shouting is shouting something that has meaning. It's shouting unto God. Amen. That means I affirm what you are saying. I confirm, I affirm, I praise God, hallelujah. We praise God in some way or another. That is audible. It is many times visual with the raising of hands. All of these are acts of worship and praise. And so then it said that all the people did that. They lifted their hands and then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Some fell to their knees. Some just looked down who couldn't fall to their knees. And then it says, In verse 8, so they read all of these men who were around Ezra that he had been training and mentoring and working with. So they read distinctly. That means they separated it out. They explained it. That's what it means. The word parash is the word for separate or to explain. So they read distinctly from the Torah. They read from the book and the law of God, and they gave the sense. Sakel is the word for insight. They gave insight. They explained it. They gave insight so that the people could understand, so they could comprehend it, so they could discern it. Here's what happened. They all got together, and Ezra read the book of God, blessed the Lord, and everybody said amen. They worshiped. They praised God. They were realizing that they're in the middle of something that God was doing, but that wasn't enough. See, it's not just enough to preach. What these men did is they got these groups together, small groups. All of these people got together, and it was too much for Ezra to get up there and do it at all, so they broke down into smaller groups. Are you listening to what I'm saying? This is the way it's done. You say, well, I don't need to be a part of a small group. I don't need to be a part of a Sunday school. No, everybody needs to learn. You don't know it all, and you can't learn it all sitting in a big assembly. This is the pattern of Scripture. You say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. You need to change your mind. Are you going to conform to the Word of God, or are you going to try to make the Word of God conform to your thinking? This is really important. Men of God, if you're a pastor, listen to me. Get your people. Yes, they need to be in the worship service. They need to be, and by the way, They need to be there as often as they can. Think about it. I preach most of the time, 45 minutes to an hour when I'm unfettered by TV or something like that. Nobody leaves. You say, well, you can't hold people like that. I don't hold them. They stay there by their own free will. And because they're hungry for the Word of God. Here's what happens. That's a funnel to get people in. And then we funnel them into small groups. Why? Because I'm not the only teacher. We've got men of God who can teach as well or better than I can. And they do it. I just listened to one of our adult teachers teaching us last week. Is as good as I've heard, better than most preachers that I know. And he is an elder in our church, but he's not an official pastor, as you would call a pastor out in another church as a senior pastor, as a lead elder, but he's an elder. And he was teaching the word of God with great power and effectiveness. What I'm saying to you is this, friend, whoever you are and wherever you are out there, you, if you're going to build a strong work, you have to have more than just a great preaching service and a great praise service. You need to break people into small groups. You say, well, where'd you get that? This is even Old Testament. What was the New Testament pattern after the Old Testament? They didn't just start from scratch. They were doing, remember the first eight years, everybody in the church in the early church, eight years after the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in a brand new way to live in people's hearts. Listen to me, everybody was a Jew there were no Gentiles for the first eight years until Cornelius and that was about eight years after the resurrection ascension of Jesus and so they did what they knew to do they would listen to preaching they would listen to teaching they would break off into small groups this is what they were doing so they read distinctly who did all of these men that are listed in verse 7 And look what it says in verse 7 at the end. These men, these Levites, helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. In other words, What they did is everybody couldn't hear everybody all the time. And so this one got up, then this one got up, then this one got up. From all I can tell from the division of these verses, it wasn't just everybody standing in one place. They began to stand and listen. They didn't have chairs to sit in, but they were so willing and hungry to hear the word of God that that's what they did. And the Bible says these people gave, they separated out, they broke it down. That's what it means to separate out. They broke it down, Parash. They explained it to the people. They broke it down for the people. They gave the sense of it. That is, they gave them insight into what is saying and helped them to understand the reading. What I'm finding out everywhere I go, and even on this podcast and those short commentaries that I write, People are starved to death to know what does God say? Not what do you think about, but what does God say? What does this mean? What does this mean in the original language? What does this mean in Hebrew? What does this mean in Greek? What does this mean in Aramaic? But what happens is now we're not even training people in our seminaries and institutions anymore to read the languages. You can get a Master of Divinity degree and a Ph.D. in preaching, listen, a Ph.D. in homiletics, and never learn the languages that the Bible are written in. Because, you see, we need to turn them out. We need to turn out graduates. What we need to do is train men of God to be men of God and to learn the Word of God well enough to where they can break it down so it can make sense to the people. Well, that's all the time I've got for right now. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies.